Hi, my name is Bob Forte. I'm with the Faculty and Staff Assistance Program. What I'm going to be talking about here for the next half hour or so are relationship skills. And you'll find as you think about what I'm talking about that these skills apply really to any kinds of relationships. They apply to family relationships, marital relationships, raising children, dealing with coworkers, dealing with customers at work. So um, I hope they're helpful and I hope you think about how you can apply them and we'll talk about some ways to practice these skills as I uh, wrap up the presentation. I want to start out with a, a story that is a true story that I encountered once in consulting with a guy who was talking about the stress in his life and talking about his relationships and things like that. And we got on the topic of his marriage and he said that basically the way I look at relationships is and the way I look at marriage is, I told my wife on the day that I married her that I loved her and I told her if that ever changes, I'll let you know. And until then, we really don't need to talk much about it. Um, that way of dealing with relationships is not what I'm going to be talking about today. In fact, I'm going to be talking really about exactly the opposite. When, when we talk about relationships, the reason they're important is obviously they affect our lives in many ways. They increase the stress in our lives. They make our lives more fun. They can make our lives less fun if they're not going well. And when we start talking about marital relationships and intimate relationships in particular, we have to remember that 50% of American marriages, is, is the current estimate, end in divorce. So, you know, some people look at that as a crisis. I look at that certainly as something to be aware of and to ask ourselves what we need to do to, uh, to, to, to change that number, at least in terms of our own lives, to make our relationships more successful. If you look at the slide, enduring intimacy doesn't just happen. People tend to fall in love. People tend to become infatuated with each other. And um, that's a form of intimacy. And that can kind of happen automatically almost. We talk about the chemistry. You know, there's a chemistry between two people. And immediately there's some kind of bond that develops. And that's true. It does happen, and, it, and many people get married in that, you know, that state of excitement. What, what I'm talking about here is enduring intimacy, the kind of relationship that lasts over time. How do we do that? What, what makes that happen, and how can we get better at it? Enduring intimacy really doesn't just happen. A relationship isn't an event. It's not something that happens on the day we get married, like my uh, my client that I mentioned earlier was referring to. It doesn't just happen on the day we get married when we say I do. That's when a, a certain, the legal part of the relationship starts maybe. But a relationship is a process. It's an ongoing process that exists every day and every time we interact with the person that we're in a relationship with. It's an ongoing process. It changes over time um, a, a young marriage is very different from a 10-year marriage, is very different from a 25-year marriage, and that's very different from a 40- or 50-year marriage. And we need to remember that, that the kind of relationship we have right now with a person or with a spouse or with a partner isn't necessarily the way that relationship's going to be in 10 years or 20 years. So we have to, we have to be aware of that process. 
and we have to start thinking about what it needs. What does that process need? If we, look, if we think about it as a garden or as a plant that's growing, that's changing, that's evolving, what does that garden need? How do we need to take care of that garden to make it what we'd like for it to be? That's where we start talking about skills. Now, I call them skills because these are behaviors, really. These are behaviors, these are ways of thinking about relationships, ways of communicating in relationships that we're not born with. Some of us are lucky enough, we learn it in our family of origin. Many of us don't. So, you know, we have to, we have to develop these skills as we grow, as we go through life, and as we look at our relationships. The next slide, I, I talk about human attachment. And I want to say something about that because it's very, very important. Intimate relationships are an attachment between people. And there are many different kinds of attachments. We form attachments to people. We form attachments to pets, to places, to jobs, to uh, our children, to, to whatever. We form different kinds of social, emotional, and biological bonds with people. And so when I talk about attachment, I'm talking about a, a, an attachment that occurs at the social, emotional, and biological level. In terms of relationships and looking at the social level and looking at, at, at the importance of relationships, what we know is relationships affect us at the, at the, at the body level, at the mind level, and at uh, the level of our emotions. We know that um, positive relationships, the presence of a positive support group around a person after a surgical procedure, for instance, the, the presence of that positive support group uh, promotes quicker healing and promotes a deeper kind of healing. And, and that occurs due to the biological effect and the emotional effect of those relationships on the person. When we talk about emotions, we know that loneliness or marital conflict or ongoing conflictual relationships affect not only something like healing from surgery, but affect our, the functioning of our immune system. If we're under a high state of stress in a relationship due to conflict, or if we're under a state of stress or depression due to loneliness, what medical research has shown is that that affects the functioning of our immune system, that the immune system becomes less effective, we're more at risk for illnesses, um, wounds, etc., heal more slowly because attachments occur also at the biological level. And we know that when a person's in love, the, the biochemistry of the body is affected. When a person's feeling strong, positive emotions, it's not just a feeling that, you know, comes out of the sky. It's, it's biological changes in our body that create that emotion and that also create energy and optimism that, that nurture us in life. So what are some of the necessary ingredients for emotions? Well, if you look at the next slide, what I'm going to talk about are basically five necessary ingredients. The first one is mutual responsibility and investment. And again, if we think about that garden or that plant that's growing, let's talk about a garden. 
if we think about that garden that we plant at the beginning of the season and we harvest at the end of the season, we interact with that garden. We don't just plant it, walk away and come back in three months and, and you know, pick things and expect it to be the way we want it to be. We, we, we are interact with it. We get involved with that garden. Another ingredient is flexibility. I talked about how relationships change over time. Well, to cope with those changes, the kinds of changes that occur from a couple newly married to a couple that is raising young children, we know that's a very stressful time in a, re in the in a relationship. That changes as the children get older and the children begin to leave home and the couple faces or focuses again on each other, away from the children and back on each other. And as we grow older, we know that relationships change, the kinds of activities we take part in um, change. So it requires flexibility through life to, to maintain enduring intimacy, and I'm going to talk about that a little later. Communication and nurturance basically are that interaction, that way of interacting in an intimate relationship. We have to be able to to talk and to understand each other and to communicate our feelings and our needs and we have to be able to nurture that garden. We have to be able to feed it if, it, if, if, if the plants need to be fed. We have to be able to water it if the plants need water. So communication and nurturance. Bonding, th that emotional biological attachment can be disrupted by certain kinds of events in life. And one of the things that can disrupt it is ongoing conflict or highly escalated conflict that doesn't get resolved or that when the people try to resolve it, the way they interact with each other actually causes more damage really to the relationship because they don't know how to negotiate differences and to have a healthy conflict. And the last necessary ingredient is willingness to engage in personal growth. And I really believe this. I've been a, uh, I've been a marriage counselor for over 20 years. I, I see a lot of couples, a tremendous amount of couples. And it's the couples where the people are willing to take a look at themselves and to be flexible and to make changes and, uh, that survive and, and the relationships thrive and the happiness in the relationship continues to build. Now, what do I mean by responsibility and investment? Well, in a lot of, in a lot of, of settings where you hear people talk about marital relationships or any kinds of relationships, they say, well, everything's 50-50, you know, everything has to be 50-50. I do my part, you do your part. Well, I have another way of, of, of thinking about that and talking about that, and it's not 50%, 50%, it's really 100%, 100%. And I say this for two reasons. One is 50%, 50% leads to standoffs too often when there are relationship problems. I believe that you're the problem. You believe that I'm the problem. I agree to change as soon as I see you changing. You agree to change as soon as you see me changing. It's 50-50, but it doesn't go anywhere. We, we have a serious relationship problem there, and we're stuck. 100% 100 means 
if you look at the slide, I, I, I'm quoting from the slide, I'm responsible for everything that I do and everything that I say in a relationship. And sure, I'm affected by the way you treat me, the way you interact with me, but I'm responsible for the way I respond. I'm responsible for everything that I do and everything that I say. That way, if the relationship needs to grow, if the relationship needs to have problems dealt with, I take it upon myself to do what I can do to try to address that if I'm committed to the relationship, if I want the relationship. And oftentimes, just one person starting the process, taking the risk, taking the first step, because they're taking 100% responsibility for what they do and say, begins to lead to changes. When I talk about investment, I used to say, what is love? Well, love is an emotion. And people say, what do you mean by love? And I would say, well, love is an emotion. You, you know, it's a feeling. You learn about your feelings. You, you feel love. Or nowadays, I'm talking about love isn't just a feeling. It's, it's a behavior. It's a set of behaviors. It's an ongoing commitment to behave in ways that support a relationship. So love isn't just feeling, it's doing. And lastly, it's about investment. What we do demonstrates our investment to the relationship when we invest time, when we invest our presence, and I don't just mean our physical presence, I mean our psychological, emotional presence, our involvement. We, we, we put out effort for it, we share our feelings, and we behave in ways that enhance the wellness of the relationship, just as we behave in ways that enhance the wellness of our body. I talked about flexibility a little already. Different times in a relationship cycle and different circumstances in a relationship call for different kinds of responses from us. In a relationship for intimacy to develop, for trust to develop, we have to know how to support. We have to know how to be supportive to that other person. We have to know how to talk about our needs for support. So sometimes that's what's called for in the moment. At the other end of the, of the, of the spectrum, sometimes we have to set limits. Sometimes we have to say, what you're doing is not okay with me. It doesn't work for me, it's hurtful to me, it frustrates me. And we have to define ourselves by setting, setting limits and being clear about that in an assertive way, not in an aggressive way. If you look at the, size, some, the slide, sometimes situations require a great deal of sensitivity. Sometimes we have to talk about something that's very, very painful or very difficult for the other person or for ourselves as a couple. And it requires a great deal of sensitivity. I have to say what I need to say, but, you know, there are a lot of songs about, um, you know, there, there's no, there's no there's no sympathy in your truth or something. You know, truth, truth can be blunt and hurtful or it can be sensitive. And sometimes we have to, to focus more on assertiveness. Different times in a relationship call for closeness as a relationship is developing. If the relationship has been, the bond has been damaged, people have been hurt emotionally, then maybe what's called for is some increased closeness to rebuild that bond. 
at other times, at other phases in a relationship, what, what is needed is more individuality, is a focus on individuality. We were married, in terms of my relationship, we were married for a number of years, had a couple of children, and my wife decided she wanted to return to college and, and go through and get a master's degree. It was a time for individuality, you know. It was a time when, when we had to agree to how we were going to make that work and what it meant that this commitment was still there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it called for individuality. When I talk about communication and contact, what I mean by contact is that two people come together in a way that each person feels recognized, heard, understood, and respected. Now many times we interact with people, many times I certainly in my work see people, couples interact with each other, but there's no contact. The words are empty. There's no real sense of really being recognized or really being heard or really being understood. Now in order to do that in a relationship, it requires communication skills. So what I'd like to talk about here are, are um, five basic skills of communicating. And there's certain, it's certainly not an exhaustive list by any means, but I'm trying to give you a way of beginning to think about this. The first skill is awareness. Awareness of self and the other person. Awareness of what I'm feeling, what I'm needing, what's going on with me. Am I stressed out? And when I'm stressed out, how do I behave? And awareness of the other person. How is what I am doing affecting the other person? And it's, it's, a, it's a dance. It's, a, it's an ongoing interplay. What am I needing? How can I put that out there? How am I affecting the other person? And perhaps I need to change or look at the way I'm interacting because the way I'm affecting the other person isn't working in the interaction. So noticing the other person and noticing myself. Another one is listening. Now when I talk about listening, remember I said contact is about feeling heard and understood. So listening has to be about really hearing for understanding, not just for the words being used. Because the words being used are only a small part of the communication. A bigger part of the communication is the nonverbal part. How is it being said? Is the person, I, it's amazing, I, I sit in, in sessions with people and one person will be talking and they'll be looking at the other person but they're not really paying attention. And the other person is, is starting to cry or maybe the speaker is starting to cry. There are tears running down their cheek. So let's say that's happening with the speaker and the other person Rather than noticing that and being aware of nonverbal communication, there's something going on here, the other person wants to argue back, wants to defend themselves, rather than really listen, really notice. And so I'll stop the process and I'll say, what do you notice about your partner right now? Well, he's, he's not really telling the truth. He's not really being open. You notice anything else? 
well, I noticed the tears. Yeah, what do you think that means? Well, you know, and then you start talking about the nonverbal part. If you want to make contact, you have to notice how another person feels, and you have to notice and listen to and be able to hear what their words are telling you about what they need and how they see the situation. That's listening. Next is giving and receiving strokes and support. Now, in psych you know, when we talk about strokes, we talk about, again, contact. Verbal, nonverbal, physical, intimate, sexual. We talk about contact. That garden, I said we interact with that garden. You know, I put my hands in the dirt and pull out the weeds, you know, or I, 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 I fertilize, or I pick off dead weeds, you know, I, I make contact with those plants, with that garden. It's the same with people, the same with relationships. When we, when we exchange strokes, when we interact in an involved way, we charge up the energy in a relationship. It's like rubbing a, a, a balloon on, uh, on your shirt and sticking it to the wall because of the static electricity. When you make contact with that balloon in that way, you charge up the static electricity. It's the same in a relationship. When you interact, you charge up the energy in the relationship. Or some people would say, you build up the emotional capital in the relationship. And it's very true. And then the other part is being able to receive, knowing how to take in a good compliment or a good stroke that somebody gives you. So you have to be able to give it in a real way, and you have to hear when it's coming to you and take it in and not discount it, okay? Responding is, is similar. Responding means I respond to what you say. I don't change it in my head and then respond to what I changed it into. I don't think about how to best argue with you and how to dispute what you're saying. I try to respond to what you're saying and what it tells me you're feeling and you're needing and, and honestly how, what I experience as I hear you say it. Again, we want to promote contact and involvement. And the last one is very important. It's called interactive self-esteem is what I call it. And basically what I'm talking about there are two things. A lot of times we have to say hard things to each other in relationships. So if I'm going to have a successful relationship and it's going to be a real relationship, I have to be able to accept criticism and disagreement. Because we're not always going to agree with each other, particularly if we're raising children or if, you know, we're, if our lives become complex, we're going to disagree and we're going to have to say negative things to each other. You have to be able to have enough self-esteem to be able to tolerate that and not um, crumble or at the other extreme get angry and start fighting or defending. The other part of interactive self-esteem is ex accepting that I'm not always going to get my way without detaching. If I detach emotionally every time I don't get my way in a relationship, there's not going to be much intimacy, is there? There's not going to be a feeling of commitment. So we all have to accept. We do it at work every day. We need to do it in our relationships. We don't always get our way in accepting that without emotionally detaching.
Managing disagreement and conflict, as I said, is very important. And here I have, if you look at the slide, six points to keep in mind in a conflict. And again, when I talk about this way of dealing with conflict, I'm talking about win-win solutions. I'm not talking about where I win and you lose, or you win and I lose. I'm not talking about where I overpower you. I'm talking about really looking for win-win, looking for solutions that work for both of us. Number one is separating the person from the problem. When we have a disagreement, we can let it be about what we're disagreeing about. Do we buy this car or do we buy that car, for example? And not make it about our quality as a human being or your quality as a human being. What happens too much is the next item, people start making personal attacks. And we stop talking about what we want to do about a car and we start judging each other or we start personally attacking each other or judging each other's motives all of which comes across as, a, as, a, as an insult, as an injury, maybe, to, to, to the other person. So what I try to do in my conflicts and what I try to teach is never attack the other person. Number three, don't force negotiation or resolution. There are going to be times, particularly in intimate relationships, in family relationships, where one or both of you are just too angry to negotiate or there's not enough trust built up at that moment notice that accept it you don't have to resolve it right now unless you're you know deciding who goes for water in the middle of a desert or something that's a crisis I mean you know we have to be in a place with each other where there can be real negotiation if there's too much emotion or there's not enough trust we have to put aside the negotiation a minute and, and try to deal with the feelings. What, what, what are each of us so angry? You know, can we be less angry with each other? How can we, what do we need to hear from each other to build more trust? Deal with the feelings. I talked about listening. The next item is balance speaking with really listening. And here again, to talk about that in a larger way, we have to be able to honestly state our needs, and we have to be willing to listen to the other person's needs and feelings. If, you ever ha if you're ever in an interaction, or particularly if it's a difficult negotiation, and you talk, you say more than three or four or five sentences without the other person saying anything, stop and ask the other person a question. What are you thinking about what I'm saying? or how you're reacting to what I'm saying. Or, I noticed that look on your face, what are you feeling about what I'm saying? Draw the other person into the interaction. And in the same way, if the, if the other person is, is going on and you don't feel heard or allowed to speak, sometimes you need to interrupt in a, in a respectful way. You know, I would like, I just need to interrupt you for a minute. You've made a few points and I'd like to respond to you because they're important. And if, if I don't respond, I'm going to forget what I want to say. Do you mind if I respond to you? Balance listening and speaking. If you're in a disagreement, 
it means you disagree, right? So you always, it's, it's important to look for the kernel of truth in what the other person is saying. Now, particularly if someone's giving me input about myself or about what it's like to be in a relationship with me, I may not agree with them, and it may, may be very difficult for me to hear it. What I need to be willing to do is to try to find the kernel of truth. If it's, if it's perhaps a workplace conflict where two people who need to be working together are in a conflict and can't work together, they're each going to have their point of view about what happened. And you know what? They're each going to be right. There will be kernels of truth in what each of those two people have to say, even if they're disagreeing. And then there's going to be some perhaps elements of distortion because we all have our own perspective. But looking for the kernel of truth and just reminding ourselves there's some kernel of truth here. What's this person trying to tell me about me and what do I need to be willing to look at? And then I talked about win-win options, which is the last item. Look for win-win. If you overpower me or if you get angry and intimidate me, and I give in to you, you know what, I'm going to resent that. And people remember things for a long time. If, you want, if you're looking just to win an argument with the person that you're never going to see again, you know, you bump into somebody in the store and who gets to pay their, for their item first, you never see that person again maybe. If you're talking about a relationship, you're going to deal with that resentment now or tomorrow or the next time you have a disagreement. So try, look for win-win. I get my needs, some of my needs met, you get some of your needs met. Maybe you get 60% this time and I get 40. Well, maybe the next time in an ongoing relationship, if there's trust, I get 60 maybe and you get 40. And it balances out over a long period of time. And the last item is, is personal growth. And I think this really caps every, and, and, and it includes everything that I'm talking about here. If we genuinely notice and care about how we affect other people, then we have to be willing to find ways to be flexible. We have to be willing at times to, be ch to make changes in ourselves. So if you look at the next item, we have to be willing to look at ourselves and admit mistakes or shortcomings. And don't blame the other person for it. Take responsibility, 100%, 100%. If I um, become critical when I'm in a disagreement with someone and it begins creating problems in my relationships and I'm not willing to look at the fact that I become critical and it makes me hard to deal with, then I'm going to keep having the same problems over and over again. So be willing to look at oneself and, how, and your own mistakes and shortcomings. Be, be willing to look at how you communicate. Be willing to look at how much you give, how much you support. Be willing to look at how well you listen. And then the way you begin to change is you think about what some options would be for how to behave differently. If I'm too critical when, I disagree, when I'm disagreeing with someone, maybe I decide 
I'm not going to I'm not going to make any negative judgments about that person uh, the other person from now on when I get into a, a disagreement I'm not going to say anything negative and judgmental about the other person and then I start practicing that and I notice it and I don't try to change everything about me at once I try to change one thing and then I watch myself and I start noticing am I did I say anything personally critical or judgmental of the other person in that interaction no I didn't great that's change or yes I did okay I gotta keep working on that so be willing to seek options for how to make small changes if I don't listen if I get feedback that I don't listen then I may be decide from now on whenever I talk with someone I'm going to try to turn off the inner dialogue that we all have going a lot of times in our heads I'm gonna to try to turn that off and focus on what the other person is saying I'm gonna look them in the eye and try to focus that's a change I don't have to change everything about me I change one thing at a time and I practice it now if you're in a marriage or a partnership or you're in an ongoing relationship then if you want to be really courageous you 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 tell the other person what I'm trying to change I'm trying to be less critical so when we interact I, w I want you to give me feedback if you hear me being critical of you or putting you down I want you to tell me okay that's another way to hear about how how your changes are going now the important thing is there if you ask the person for feedback never ever argue with them about their feedback right because that's like bait and switch you know if I if you ask for feedback hear the feedback you may not agree with all of it look for the kernel of truth I mean this stuff starts to tie together okay and if you can't if you can't understand what it is you're doing wrong and you can't understand why the same thing keeps happening get help you know go to a close friend or to a, a, a pastor or to a relative or to a counselor or, or read some books or do something to get some options for assistance with your growth or your change because we all have blind spots we all have blind spots so sometimes we need people to point things out to us so if you need help get it people really do change their relationships people really do change and improve their marriages when they when they work at it I have a few quotes here that I came across as I was preparing for this presentation that I just like to point out to you I think they're kinda cool for the philosophers out there this one's by Nietzsche there is always some madness in love but there is always but there is also some reason in let me say that again there is always some madness in love but there is also always some reason in madness other people's feelings may not make sense to us but what they need from us may not make sense to us it may seem like madness but you know what they're probably not mad we maybe just don't understand it you know so there's always some emotion in love but but emotions are important and if we think about emotions and if we think about what seems like madness we start to find maybe that it makes sense but we have to be open 
And the next one is, love is the difficult realization that something other than oneself is real by Iris Murdoch. Think about that. Love is the difficult realization that something other than oneself is real. That's what a relationship is. I mean, that, that says it. That says it all. Noticing the other person. Interacting with that garden, you know? That's the beauty of it. That's what attracts us to another person. They're different than we are. They're another person. That's what attachment's about. But other people have their own perspectives. They see things differently. And the last one that I like here is from Charlie Brown. Nothing takes the taste out of peanut butter quite like unrequited love. So hopefully you use these skills, you um, experience contact between yourself and another person, and that gets better as you use these skills. And if it doesn't, call us. That's what we do. It's part of what we do. It's a lot of what we do, really, is work with relationships with people. So here's the peanut butter. Uh, any questions that anyone here has before I wrap up? You had suggested trying some things, and if all else fails, seek help after a counselor or a friend. How far do you go? Uh, you know, how, how long should you try? Uh, how many attempts should you make before you say, okay, marriage counseling might be a good idea, right? I don't know how to answer that in terms of a number, but if we're honest with ourselves, I think we start to notice when what we're doing isn't working. We keep running up against the same stuck point, you know, or our discussions seem to keep winding up with the same outcome. When you start seeing that repeated impasse, you're stuck. And assuming that you're doing your best to try to resolve it, at that point you don't know how. You need a different way of looking at it. And it's, it's amazing. People sometimes come in for a consultation with us. We just make a few points. And they, and they shift the way they're looking at something. They see, oh, I did have a part in that. Or that is another way to look at this. And they go on and, you know, they, they, the process starts moving again. So that's one answer. Another answer certainly is, if you're in a relationship and you, f you find that you're hurting each other, or that one of you seems to be getting hurt emotionally over and over again, you're stuck. That's a bad, bad signal. Something's got to happen. Something has to change. If you don't know how to stop it, get help. You know? If a relationship... The, the passion starts dying. There's not really a lot of conflict, but there's not a lot of passion or love. And the people try to talk about it, and they don't know what's wrong. They start thinking, we're just, we're just not in love anymore. We should get a divorce. Well, maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you've just gone as far in nurturing that relationship as your skills are taking you. And when you find that you can't, you're not getting excited about it again. You're not regenerating that passion. And you don't know how to make it happen. Get help. Get another suggestion. Get another way of looking at it. Okay? Any other 
questions or thoughts before we stop? I was wondering, how do you um, detach yourself from unhealthy relationships? Not so much you're in a uh, committed marriage, but rather, you know, with a relationship that's been ongoing for some time, and you sense the need that it's not working and you need to move on, but you want to keep yourself from having this huge emotional swing or moving into depression because you don't really know how to cope and to pull away in a healthy way. A lot of times the way people, the question is how do you detach from a, a relationship that really isn't working in a way that doesn't hurt the other, either of you more than it needs to. One answer is, a lot of times the way people detach is with anger. We don't know how to detach. We feel guilty. And so what we do is we, we build up a good head of anger. Or we say hurtful things so that we provoke a fight. And then we use that fight as a way of detaching. It doesn't have to be that way, you know. I mean, you can just, people can be honest. People can talk about what they're needing. Try to hear what the other person's needing and acknowledge whether they honestly think that that can work or not. Or maybe you just need to not be as close. Maybe you maintain a relationship, but you recognize that you won't need to spend more time with other people, or you need to do something new yourself as a person. So you try to talk honestly about that. This, these are difficult things to talk about. but. Many times, like a, you and a coworker, maybe you form a friendship and you realize over after six months or whatever, you really need to kind of take some space to work on your own thing again. And so you just try to talk about it honestly. Well, thank you for your attention. Remember, you can get 15 points through the Your Plan for Health uh, website for listening to this presentation. So hopefully you use that, and if you need help through a stuck point, call us or let someone help you. Thanks.